Welcome back, retail nerds, to Point of Sale, the supply chain show where we break down great retailers and the data that moves all of their supply chains. And today, I want to explore a topic that I'm sure everyone has seen. All of their favorite brands have changed their logos for the month and offered their different type of monthly incentives or discounts. And that's, of course, for Pride Month. Uh, Pride Month is a holiday, uh, more of an honorary celebration of a event called the Stonewall Riots that happened about over 50 years ago in 1969 in Manhattan. Basically, on one terrible night, police raided the Stonewall Inn in the Greenwich Village in New York City, a famous location and area for the local gay and lesbian community to meet and enjoy being who they are um, on a a daily, nightly basis. Now, culture back then, of course, was not accepted like it is today, as as you see many brands celebrating throughout the month. Uh, So a lot of bars and and inns that uh, gave people a, a safe place to be and enjoy their true authentic selves were not given liquor licenses during that time. Uh, actually, it kind of turned into a mafia-style event where police at the time would demand what they call gayolas or payments from gay bar owners to prevent shutdowns and raids due not having that liquor license that any other bar was welcome to have at the time. Well, on the night of June 28th, 1969, things went out of hand. After a few days of previous bar raids, uh, the Stonewall Inn was raided and turned into a scene of police brutality and led to weeks of the village residents and activists openly demanding for equal rights. And it, it really worked in their favor. A number of local newspapers and local activist groups stood up and stood behind the LGBTQIA plus community that we call it today and demanded that they have equal human rights just like anyone else who was born here in the United States of America. Now, let's fast forward to this month that comes in hot every June. Uh, (laughs) We see it on day one. It floods our timelines on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media. But with it comes actually buying power. A lot of these brands, they put on these different events. And of course, proceeds will go to a number of different groups and a number of different activists and and nonprofit organizations that help with the LGBTQIA plus community. But here are some things to consider when we look at this as through a retail lens. Actually, the community as a whole uh, actually holds about $917 million in buying power. And some studies even show that a lot of same-sex households, more geared towards male same-sex households, spend about $2,045 more per year on household products, including food and clothing, than regular hetero, not regular, there we go, on what heterosexual couples usually tend to spend. Uh, 76% of residents or respondents in this study said that companies that support LGBTQIA plus communities will actually get more of their business throughout the year. And that sentiment tends to actually linger into the immediate family members within a respondent as well. So um, for instance, if if I were to go out and spend um, money on on a brand that's realizing and focusing on the importance of this month and the importance of the LGBTQIA plus community, 
more than likely my mother, father, brother, and sister will actually give their business to those uh, different organizations as well. Now, this is why we see companies like Apple, Nike, Procter & Gamble, Puma usually lead the ranks, actually, when you look at their mentions on social media every single year. Uh, but the thing is, and this is, I think, the really important part is, is this working? Is bringing these products and, and pushing these brands to recognize this month and the importance of this community and the importance of human rights just in general is it bringing positive exposure and actually lifting the LGBTQIA plus community up from where it is now? Now, I, if looking back at history, brands as a whole have definitely led towards bringing more exposure to what this group and what these individuals are trying to explain to every other American out there that they just want equal human rights like the rest of us. They want to be able to get married, vote, and enjoy their, their own true authentic selves openly in public without having to worry about anything that comes negative along with that. And these brands have definitely helped charities and helped enforce the importance of human rights standards. Unfortunately, when we look at more of a global supply chain, that's where you start to see these human rights standards tend to tail off. And I think that's a big area that retailers, brands could look to in order to actually bring this exposure to a worldwide level. Uh, and I think as we start to see ESG initiatives become more into play, we'll start to see that happen. But a statistic that I did find doing research on this month in the LGBTQIA plus community was a tad shocking. Uh, in 2022, Almost 240 anti-LGBTQIA plus bills have been filed within our government, and most have actually been focused on anti-trans communities. Uh, what's even more shocking is in 2018, there were only 41 of those bills filed. So as we are bringing more attention, it tends to seem that there's more work that can be done in making sure that that communication is getting to our representatives and not just going into the pockets of brands and then a five to 10% being kicked back to charities. So uh, on top of that, we do see a higher chance of homelessness among this, this community and, and less money, number of statistics show less money is made uh, compared to their straight counterparts as well. Now, while I can't tell you where to put your money and then have also put my own money into brand awareness into Pride Month, um, brands, like we said, have pushed positive gay agendas and, and many are giving those profits to charities. Uh, of course, we can just make sure that they focus on that worldwide initiative as well. I think one big thing that we could do, though, is make sure that we give you an opportunity to see the list of these charities that are helping out the LGBTQIA community every single day. Uh, if we can bring up real quick the list that I put on, I'd like to give just 10 seconds of our time to give a moment of silence to those in the community who have unfortunately lost their lives just trying to be their authentic selves, which is the true point of this month. So please check out these charities and take a few seconds here to remember those whose lives have unfortunately been lost. And thank you to everyone who's 
is make sure that this is an important event and something that we need to not just honor when we look at what happened that day on June 28th, but continue to bring awareness to make sure that all of us in this community and all of Americans have those rights. And so now we're going to focus a little on something <laughs> more retail focused. Uh, thank you for everyone giving me that chance to, to touch on something that's really important to me and the people around me. Uh, but we're actually going to bring on one of my favorite FreightWaves journalists, Jack Dalio. We had some really interesting conversations on my radio show this last week, and I thought we got to bring this to point of sale. I think it's an awesome topic that not only hits retail, but shows where maybe there's weaknesses in some retailers' uh, different business models. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you're doing well. I'm glad to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me on, Grace. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, we uh, we had a fun time on the radio last week, and I was like, we got to talk about this. I think this is something our audience would really love, and it's it's in the world of instant delivery. Uh, you've actually touched on this in a number of articles, just about kind of the whirlwind of instant delivery, some winners out there, some who unfortunately are having a hard time with their previous valuations. So if you could break down to our audience just what you've really learned over the last 30, 60 days of instant delivery and the pain points that we're starting to see in their business models. Yeah, sure. So instant delivery. And um, and when we talk about instant delivery, I'm talking about companies that purport to deliver in 15 minutes or less. Um, the industry is kind of in flux right now. Um, two weeks ago, there were a pair of, of layoffs from, from these instant delivery companies. Uh, Gorillas, they laid off a couple hundred employees from their office workforce. Um, they're, they're based in Berlin, Germany. Uh, and then Getter, which is based in Turkey, uh, actually laid off thousands of people from its workforce. I think about uh, 14% is, is the number. Uh, so those are both European companies that have a smaller presence in the U.S. But uh, there was also news two weeks ago from GoPuff, uh, which announced its own layoffs. Uh, and uh, it also announced plans to, to scale back or to even stop operations at up to 22 of its warehouse facilities. Uh, that also comes after the month before uh, news came out about two executives who were canned, uh, and, and the valuation of the company was also slashed as it heads towards an IPO. Um, and then outside of, of what happened two weeks ago, uh, even before then, instant delivery companies were starting to feel the pressure. Uh, you saw a couple of, a trio of instant delivery companies, uh, 1520, Bike, and Fridge No More. Um, all of them closed down operations entirely uh, this year, um, all of them because they they ran through cash. Uh, so the industry right now is, after a really hot start, uh, kind, of, kind of beginning to slow down a bit. Yeah, last year was a crazy year. You, you and I spend most of our time covering a lot of these investment rounds with uh, companies, not only in instant delivery, but for freight tech companies in general. And I will say that this is a, uh, something I think we're starting to see in freight tech outside of even instant delivery. Last week's store just laid off a good amount of employees. And I think really what you're seeing is it's it's really time to prove profits and prove the uh, market strategy that a lot of these our companies have you know, placed on these huge valuations. And so I, I will say, I don't think this is something that's just going to be seen in the retail sector and then some delivery sector. I think it's something we'll probably see over the next two or three years, especially with signs of, of inflation and possible recession, right? Um, and not just trucking recession, but overall economy recession. Uh, but 
do you think that on the instant delivery side of this, the, the layoffs in particular, do you think that is showing just a sign of, of weakness in the instant delivery model? A lot of people have said, you know, when you look at something like 15-minute delivery, it's possible, but it all comes down to cost and who's willing to pay those costs, right? Uh, do you think we're now seeing this as like a sign of the weakness of that quick instant delivery? Or do you think this is more just on where the current market is, inflated market, and the possible recession in general? I think it's actually a little bit of both. Um, you know, the companies will tell you that sort of the reason for this is that they're shifting away from this growth strategy and moving towards profitability. Uh, and that's the reason for the layoffs. But uh, I do think that, um, you know, a couple of factors, um, one of them being uh, the perceived ending of the pandemic uh, has definitely um, sort of sort of hurt these companies. Um, you know, people are sort of beginning to, to return to in-person shopping rather than using these instant delivery apps. And then you've also got this, this threat of inflation uh, where if a consumer is trying to save, uh, a premium delivery service like this is going to be—it's going to be one of the first things to go. Um, so I think definitely some of those trends are, are having an impact. Um, you know, as it stands, uh, none of these companies have really shown that they're able to be profitable yet. Um, GoPuff, I think, is, is probably the closest, but um, even even GoPuff has has had its struggles. So while I don't think that instant delivery is necessarily dead yet, um, I do think that. Uh, investors in the market are starting to see maybe some of the flaws in the model. Yeah, and I think one part you touched on too is just the fact that you know a lot of us are watching what we're spending our money on now, right? And if if I'm uh, looking at especially something like GoPuff, where it's more of convenience store type of of goods, and I'm saying to myself, well, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to go down the to the local liquor store or bodega in your case and and get a two liter of of Coca Cola. I'm gonna I'm gonna go and just get it off GoPuff and spend an extra couple dollars off that convenience. You know, I think walking is <laughs> exercise, right? And just being able to eliminate that couple extra dollar cost and that tip that goes on top of it as well is something I'm gonna think twice about. So. I can definitely see that that happening as well. When you are uh, researching these companies, do you find that they're seeing less um, active active users than normally seen? Um, I would say that number of users has been, I think, relatively steady across these apps. Um, maybe more so for GoPuff and some of the U.S. based apps than uh, than some of the the foreign uh, foreign based apps like Gorillas and Getter. Um, you know, those two. Uh, they they really only have a small presence in the U.S. Uh, I believe both are currently only limited to a couple of neighborhoods in New York City. Um, so so definitely, I, I think that um, yeah. Yeah. So what does this mean for someone like Grubhub who's looking to potentially sell? But I think this part this story is the most interesting, right? Uh, how how far that valuation is falling? Can you update our audience on exactly what happened there? Yeah. So a little primer on Grubhub. Um, so Just Eat, which is uh, it's a European-based food distributing company, they acquired Grubhub uh, almost exactly a year ago uh, for about $7.3 billion. Uh, Just Eat has a, a big presence in Europe, uh, in the UK, Ireland, France, Germany, and, and some of those countries. Um, they initially kind of saw Grubhub as their vehicle to break into this, this North American market, right? But 
the the market share that Grubhub has in the U.S. really pales in comparison to what it's got in Europe. Uh, in some countries in Europe, uh, like the U.K., for example, I believe Grubhub has a 45% share among the food delivery apps. But in the U.S., that share is under 20%. Meanwhile, you've got DoorDash, which handles more than 50% of the food delivery orders among the big three food delivery apps, those being uh, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Grubhub. Um, so I, I don't think that the instant delivery news necessarily really affects Grubhub very much because it's actually one of the few food delivery companies that, that really hasn't tested out 15-minute delivery. But I do think that the same factors that are hurting these companies are also impacting Grubhub for sure. Um, so as we saw uh, two weeks ago, the, the asking price for Grubhub uh, was slashed by about $6 billion um, after, uh, after the CEO announced the month before that the company was trying to sell it. Um, so in, in that same report, even, uh, it, it came out that even that reduced valuation uh, around $1.3 billion, uh, a $6 billion reduction from the original purchase price, uh, even that might still not be enough to attract a buyer for Grubhub. Um, so Just Eat is really in, uh, in between sort of a rock and a hard place here. Uh, and, and it's come under a lot of fire from uh, from investors, particularly. Yeah, just a, just a little billion dollar rock in a hard place. Just something simple, nothing too crazy. Uh, you know, from all of your research, if you had to choose like an instant delivery winner, someone who is really going to you know, lead this this market and uh, throughout even the world, so anyone uh, throughout the globe, who would you choose and why? That's a great question, and uh, you know maybe this is a little bit of uh, a bias here, but I think I'd have to go with GoPuff. Um, you know, it's really hard to say that any of these instant delivery apps are winners at the moment, um, but I think <laughs> GoPuff has um, has a lead over some of the other apps. Um, I think what it did really well was try not to be too ambitious at launch. Um, you know, it kind of focused in on a few key markets within the U.S. first. Uh, Grew successful, grew successfully in those markets, and then expanded nationwide. Um, so now it's got uh, easily the, the biggest national reach of all of the instant delivery apps by far in the U.S. at least, um, which also means that it has more infrastructure in place, uh, meaning micro fulfillment centers and things like that. Uh, I know GoPuff has more than 500 of those in the U.S. at this point. Um, so it's got a huge amount of infrastructure in place. Um, and it, it sort of pioneered this model along with Instacart of using micro-fulfillment centers to deliver food and groceries. Uh, GoPuff also has received a lot more funding than some of these other startups like Gorillas and Getir. Um, it's valued at over $15 billion. It's had several billion-dollar-plus funding rounds in the last couple of years. Um, and, and using that money, it's since been able to expand outside the U.S. It's in the U.K. now. It's in France. Um, so I think it's still unclear if, if GoPuff will make it to an IPO, uh, like it said it would, but I think it's the closest out of the instant delivery apps to getting it. Love that hot take. Let's make sure we'll watch that. I'll have you a year from now and see where exactly they say. I agree with you though. I think, especially in terms of marketing strategy, I think I've seen them address their specific market the best especially when it comes to like um sports seasons like football and things of that nature where you have 
and all these college students looking for some type of instant delivery. Like I've seen them all over my local campus here at Michigan State and um, and different marketing groups as well. So I think they have the best idea of like who their main um, product user is. And then it's add on the fact that they have that infrastructure. And I mean, micro fulfillment is growing just as a whole for all retail. Imagine what that infrastructure will be worth alone five, 10 years from now, right? So uh, I like that bet for sure. Um, this is a topic that we brought up though, on the radio show. I was like, we got to talk about this here and have this audience here, this as well. When it comes to delivery as a whole, uh, if you had to list these in order from best to worst, uh, who do you think is doing it best so far? Humans, just delivering through like vehicles, etc. Drones, robots, or in-store pickup? Which which would you rank your top in regards to just overall fulfillment and delivery experience? So my rankings have not changed since last week, Chris. Uh, I've still got the same <laughs> Uh I'll start with the first one. Uh, I, the first one I've got is, is good old human delivery. Um, you know, these, these new technologies, drones and robots, they're, they're definitely on the rise. But, uh, you know, human delivery is sort of the most, uh, I guess, figured out. Of the of, of those methods that you mentioned, um, there's a lot of technology and innovation that's happening in that space. You've got route optimization. You've got AI powered TMSs that that are cutting down on the number of miles traveled substantially. Um, so human delivery might not always be as fast as as a robot or a drone, um, but it's the it's definitely the most accessible form of delivery. And um, as it stands, I would say the most efficient. Nice. I'll agree with you there on that one. Uh, if you had to pick a second runner-up, who would it be? Uh, number two, I've got in-store pickup. Um, so <laughs> this is a surprise to you because I'm a big drone and robot guy. But um, you know, this technology <laughs> that we have for in-store fulfillment has—it's just come such a long way. Um, just some of the systems that are that are being used in these retail spaces. You've got. Uh, store-wide visibility that's letting associates see where every item is on the shelf. Uh, you've got dedicated e-commerce pickup areas. You've got contactless checkout. You've got curbside pickup, storage lockers. Uh, all of these different methods for really the consumer to kind of customize how they want to to do the exchange. Um, so obviously, this isn't always going to be the fastest method, uh, especially if the consumer has to drive a couple of miles to get to the store. Um, but once you're there, it's it's incredibly efficient, um, and I think there's um, honestly not too much more that we can do to really uh, to make that process more efficient, other than continuing to add AI and, and using machine learning. Hey, well, you heard it from a modern shipper journalist himself, right? <laughs> uh, us going there is the best way to do it at the <laughs> right now. But I think it's really exciting to see the drone and, and robotic space as well, uh, especially recent Chick-fil-A news coming from uh, Refraction. I think that's a perfect example of how that market is growing. And uh, on this show, Jack, we like to play a game called What Kind of Consumer Are You? And in honor of our Supply Chain Meets FinTech event that's happening live in Atlanta, Georgia, coming up on August 17th, I figured why not do a retail meets FinTech type of question? Uh, I'm wondering, have you ever used a Shop Now Pay Later application like Klarna or Shop and and what are your overall thoughts about apps like that? I personally have not used one of those apps, but uh, I do think that they're a really, really good idea. 
uh, I think it's a, a really good way to just acquire customers because you're you're really expanding your customer base to to a different income bracket, basically. Um, you know, because people who are using these services, uh, a lot of times they're they're in a lower income bracket and they they can't afford to to pay the full upfront price. But with this buy now pay later model, um, you can almost have it like a like a down payment for a car, um, where you're paying in installments, but for a consumer good, uh, like like an appliance or uh, a piece of apparel or something like that. Um, so I, I think it's a really interesting way for some of these brands to to acquire some new customers and make themselves a little bit more accessible. Agreed. I think my favorite part about it is the the hidden aspect of it's just layaway. Like, <laughs> like it's just they took layaway and they put it in an application. They fooled all of us. So I agree. I think it's going to help a lot of uh, companies add different consumers they might not have reached before. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for joining our show. I appreciate it. And we'll have you on here again in the future as well. Thanks, Grace. Of course. And for our audience, again, make sure you check out that Supply Chain Meets FinTech event we're having on live.freightwaves.com. You can register to go to the event on August 17th in Atlanta, Georgia. And then, of course, make sure you watch my show as well. Or sorry, listen to my show on (laughs) Sirius XM Radio Channel 146. That's the Road Dog Channel every single day, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, rebroadcast at 11 to 1 a.m. as well. Uh, We talk about all types of things today mary o'connell will be on the show so every wednesday you can see her there or listen to her there too other than that i hope you enjoyed today's show and i will talk to you all next week